This is the Travel and Van Life podcast from Jits into the Sunset. We're Tanya and Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk all things travel, adventure, and road trips. Through our experience and with conversations with others who, like us, have chosen an alternative lifestyle. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Jits into the Sunset podcast. We're very I'm ha- glad you said Jits into the Sunset podcast there because quite often Tanya models her words and goes Jits into the podcast and yeah. then it's like, oh, hang on a minute. And we have to re-record. <laughs> re-record. I got it right this time. First time. Yes. Uh, we're so glad to have you here wherever you're listening to us, perhaps. I always wonder about this. Perhaps you're... Um, you are cooking, you're gardening, maybe you're doing your cleaning, maybe you're driving. Yeah, it's just great to have you here. And we have a really exciting episode this week. We are, I'm actually, I feel like I'm interviewing you today. <laughs> no, it's a conversation. We're having a conversation <laughs> all around filmmaking. Um, this is probably one of our most frequently asked topics all yeah. about um well what, what are we going to cover well actually firstly i just want to talk a little bit about my voice it actually sounds a bit worse than last week and if you listen to last week's episode then you'll know that we've both just recovered well we were both in the process of having covid at the time last week and now we are just recovering and whilst we feel 100 percent better testing completely negative all good mm-hmm. my voice is persisting to sound nasally and a bit more deeper bit more croaky. Ooh, I love it. Maybe it's a bit more podcast friendly. (laughs) So maybe I'll try and stay just a tiny bit ill for the podcast. For the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah, every week. Um, Anyway, so what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be talking about how we started, like what what got us into filmmaking. Um, We're going to be talking about our kit, all the equipment that we use. We're going to talk about what it's like being on YouTube and our way of approaching being on YouTube. And also filmmaking and how we make our films because everybody does it different. And, you know, to just want to say that there is no right or wrong way of making mm-hmm. films, really. There are so many different ways of doing it. We're obviously going to talk from our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a million one ways. As with anything, as with any art form or craft, mm-hmm. there are so many ways of doing it and so many ways of doing it to get the results that you want. So we're just going to talk about all of that. And as with all episodes, this one is very much led by the questions that you have submitted to us through Instagram. So thank you so, so much because we had an enormous amount of questions. Yeah, so many. Yeah, and we really appreciate you getting involved. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, please do. We're at Jits Into The Sunset and we're always posting stories or, you know, asking questions in our in-feed posts. So that is a great way to get involved. And yeah, there were so many amazing amazing questions that we've answered as many as we can in this episode so if we didn't get around to answering yours then we're sorry um but we will probably do another or a couple of other filmmaking um episodes so there'll be there'll be another chance for sure yeah absolutely and if you are new around here or if you've been listening to us and are not yet subscribed to our podcast please do subscribe because that way if you've got your notifications turned on you will be pinged every time that we post and that is just also a really great way to support us what's another great way to support the podcast leaving a review yeah a rating and reviews a rating and reviews yeah that really helps us helps other people discover the podcast and uh, yeah that's that's what it's all about isn't it yeah. expanding the conversation we're, we're not getting paid to put this podcast so if you, if you <laughs> true why are we doing it again <laughs> so if you're enjoying it those are the free ways that you can support us so thank you so much and yeah let's get to it let's do it Let's kick this off with a question from Laura from Lost with Laura. She asked, how did each of you get started with filmmaking? Yeah, so I got started, well, it's funny actually, because when I was growing up as a kid, I I used to play with my action figures and (laughs) I used to, without realising it, I was visualising sequences and films and ways of how all these characters would interact. And I didn't realise at the time, but that was effectively me exercising like my the, the visualization side of my brain, mm-hmm. I guess, like the imagination. So I was an only child, so I was <laughs> on my own playing with my toys quite a lot. Um, all these action figures. And that kind of got me, I think that kind of built the foundation of something that I was kind of naturally enjoyed doing, which was the visualization of and, and that kind of side of the creativity. But I didn't have access to a camera. 
I didn't know that that was what I was doing, of course. Um, and then it, all the way through school, I kind of, I, I enjoyed school from the social side of things, but I was never a particularly good student at all. Like I was quite good at the sciences and art and that was about it. Um, and performing arts actually. And everything other than that, I was just distracted, like maths, English, because I was dyslexic. I struggled with them and I just thought they were hard work and didn't really understand why I was doing them. And then I got to sixth form, so post-16, so I don't know, depending on where you're listening, school systems are different all around the world, but that was effectively after I'd done my main exams. You know, went to fir first step of further education before university is college, in the UK anyway. That's where I did media studies, and that's where I first got my hand on a camera. And it was the first time in my life I was actually like, you know, kind of top of the class I suppose like it was a very small class actually I have to say of like literally seven or eight of us you didn't have a lot of competition didn't have a lot of competition <laughs> but it was something that I was that I was good at and that I enjoyed and that the teacher you know gave positive feedback and it was like kind of like the first time I'd really experienced that and yeah it kind of all just snowballed from there so it, I ended up making films with my mates. My first ever passion project film was a boxing film inspired by the Rocky films. Classic. Classic. And then I went to university. And this was all when I was 16, by the way. So I spent a couple of years there doing that at college um, and playing around and making my own passion projects. Then I went to university, studied broadcasting. Um, again, more playing around with cameras. And then straight out of university, I had a job with a tiny little production company based in Devon. Uh, they just won a contract filming a sailing event that was an international sailing event. So I traveled around the world filming sailing. And that not only did that give me the the, the travel bug, because that was the mm -hmm. first time, first time I ever got on a plane was when I was 21. And that was to go to Portugal to film windsurfing. So working with this company gave me the travel bug and was where I really started learning filmmaking in a professional sense so yeah I think that does that explain how I got started yeah I also want to say that no matter how long we've been together I always find out somehow some way that you've been to some crazy island in the world or some <laughs> somewhere really random um and it's always because you've you've filmed sailing there and yeah you, it was it was such an amazing time it was really hard work and because the company was small i got chucked in the deep end and had a lot of responsibility but it was amazing and there's so many opportunities that came from that like like i said until i was 21 i hadn't really been abroad except for like on two school trips I think like when I was six literally like I went to France on a coach and I think Holland on a coach and I hardly remember it because I was like in primary school and then suddenly to go from that to traveling every month somewhere new on a plane it was like complete other world to me and just it changed me a lot mm. Yeah. And you also had different film passion projects. Whilst you were doing the sailing and stuff, you've also had Yeah, I always wanted projects. to make my own things because I ended up going freelance and moving to London. Um, I still did the sailing stuff, but on a freelance basis and did other projects in London, like random TV entertainment things and stuff like that. A mockumentary? Um, and yeah, so the mockumentary, that was a passion project that I did with a group of my friends and we set up a small film collective um, and made films together for a while. And that was something that, yeah, really let me do what I wanted to do creatively. Whereas, because obviously up until then, it was my job. I was very much restricted and directed in where I could go. And even though it was still in a creative field, there were certain limits because obviously you've got to meet briefs. But as soon as you're doing your own thing, and that's why we love YouTube so much, you are completely free to do what you want. And, and it's amazing. And so I feel like my foundation was very much set from experimenting as a kid when I was like 16, 17, and like just getting my hands on a camera and playing around with it. And then being able to and then going into like the professional world where you learn like what is the right way of doing things technically speaking mm -hmm. and then again more experimentation after after that more structured side one of the things i think is important for um for you to note is about your experience both shooting and editing because that's Good not point. always common right yeah no that's true so i was always when i well when i was making my own films i was of course shooting them and editing them and then when I went 
because I'd then acquired those two skill sets all through teaching myself, really. I then went on to do that as work for this company because it was a small company. Like I said, I got chucked in the deep end. I was given a lot of responsibility on the editing sides of things, as well as being used as a cameraman when we were out on site. And yeah, so I was being utilized for both. So I was exercising my camera work and my editing uh, at the same time. And I think that's really good because as an editor, you know what you need from a cameraman. So then as a cameraman, you know what to shoot. And it's good to start at the end of the process because then you know what you need to have before, if that makes sense. Yeah, because often people are either just shooters or just editors in, from, in a professional sense. Yeah, quite often. Yeah. But it's start, that's starting to change now, I think, because of technology is moving forward. You've got like everything is so much more accessible that there are much more crossovers in that. Even now photography and film, like the cameras do both very well. So you get someone who will turn up and they'll be doing the photography and the videography at an event or whatever it is. So there's a lot more crossover these days. But yeah, especially back when I started, it was a lot less common. I actually remember being given advice by someone. They said, make sure you specialise because then you'll, you know, you'll be able to charge more and you'll get better at one thing. And I'm so glad I didn't because then I wouldn't be able to be self-sufficient like we are now making our own things from mm -hmm. beginning to end. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that I always find really interesting when we've talked about your journey is also um, the the travel YouTube videos that you did. Well, you did a couple. Oh, yeah. So when I, I went, I just went on, like we literally, so I went on a road trip in a Vauxhall Corsa around Europe for six weeks with my mate back when we were like 24, 25 um, and filmed it all on a GoPro just for fun just for us to have as a memory, really. We weren't really thinking anything more about it. And this was back in 2013. So this was before travel YouTubing was really a thing. And yeah, made a made a film all on the GoPro, um, put it out and it kind of went mini viral. It got like 230,000 views, which was like mind blowing for us. There's still like a lot of views these days. But back then for us, it was like, what the hell? <laughs> We're trying to visualize how many 230,000 people. I think it's still going. It's still out there, definitely. Yeah. I think it's still going what, up. What do people need to Google to find it? Oh, should we leave the link in the show notes? Yeah. It used to come up top. When you when you would search Europe road trip, it used to be the top result. Oh, my God. But I don't think it is okay. now. This would be so funny. We'll leave the link in the show notes so you can see what Adam God. looked like when it was it, like 10 years ago. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. 10 years ago, yeah. It's really funny, the stuff that you guys got up to. It's just classic lads on it's tour. so different to now. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was really funny. That was my first kind of like YouTube experience. And I kind of wished that I was like, great, wow, this is a thing here. We can make a business out of this. But I didn't really clock it. I was like, I was too busy with other work. And I didn't really see that, oh, this is a business opportunity. Because it was such early day in, days in YouTube that kind of that path hadn't been carved yet. Yeah. So there's some parts of me that go, oh, I wish I'd started then and continued with that. Because you don't it could have been something. I don't know yeah. where I'd be now. But that's okay. We're doing it now and we're doing it very differently. Yeah, exactly. And we might have not met if you had... That's true. If you had done that. So there we go. That's I, very true. I'm all for you not having succeeded at YouTube back in the day. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how did you start? How I started? Well, really, my filmmaking journey started with you here in Jits when we first started our trip uh, in Ireland. And that, that was my first experience. But in reality, because my background is in advertising and working in ad agencies, I have experience um reading director's treatments, working with creatives, uh, with with script writing and um, creative briefs, storyboarding, all of that. It has never been me the one to write those scripts or, you know, do the storyboards or anything. But I have always, that, that's what I've loved about advertising, that creative aspect of it and working with a team of creatives, strategists, producers, directors, and actually making TV ads. And I've been on set making TV ads and, um, I understand that process and what it takes to to produce that, but it is also a world away from our production and how we make our travel films. And I love this because I have been given the opportunity to to really direct and to be super creative and to lead that process as well alongside you. And that's been really eye-opening um, for me and really fulfilling. 
I think yeah just just going back to really when when I started was was in Ireland you handed the GoPro to me and you said great well just speak to the GoPro and uh, just you know say what we're doing and I completely froze um I really did but I think we're going to talk a bit about speaking on camera and some tips so um yeah how to get confident in front of cameras because I was not so uh hang on for that as we'll uh, touch on that uh, in a little bit so Shall we just move on to the next the next category, which is our kit? Yeah, our camera kit. Camera kit. Our camera kit. So we get a lot of questions about what our camera kit is, what we use, like our drones, our lenses, our camera, our editing software, all of this stuff. Um, and I think it's first it's important to start off by saying that it's very easy to get drawn into like what's the best kit like how can we get the best camera with the highest resolution and and all of this and i'm definitely guilty of that i i love kit and i yeah, love you're tech. a nerd about it i am and i really do enjoy that but it is not the most important thing when it comes to filmmaking the most important thing is the storytelling and that might sound like a bit of a cliche but it is so true like there are films out there that look terrible um, but that have got great storytelling and that they're really engaging, much more engaging than something that's really glossy, looks beautiful, is super high resolution, but doesn't have a story. Exactly. You, you get switched off. So I, I just wanted to start by saying that the most important thing is learning how to tell a good story and you don't need to have really expensive camera kit to be able to do that. So Uma asked everything about your camera gear, please, and Vid specifically wants to know about the cameras that we use and the drone. We, we've we actually got a blog that we've written on our website, which is jitsintosunset.com, um, where we've spoken, we've broken it down all about our camera kit, all about um, what cameras we use, like our, what our wish list is, and also cheaper alternatives. But to summarise very quickly, we shoot on Sony cameras, so... My camera is the A7S Mark III, which is very, very good for video and not quite as good for photography. And then the camera that Tanya uses, which is actually a hand-me-down because it was our old A camera, mm-hmm. is the Sony A7 III, which is very good all round. It's very good at video and very good at, for photography. But primarily, yeah, the A7S Mark III is our A camera because the colour science in the new Sonys that have got the S Cinetone. Absolutely stunning and we love it. So so that is what we use primarily. We also use a GoPro every now and then as a bit of an action cam because that's really good fun because it's waterproof so we can take it underwater. Mm-hmm. We can just put it in our pocket. So if we're like running around doing something like skiing, for example, we can just whip it out and talk to it and point it around. So those are also really good bits of kit to have in your camera backpack the drone so our drone is the dji mavic air 2s or air s2 i can't remember which way around it goes (laughs) um but that is it that's a great little camera really good image really small perfect for travel and yeah we we love it yeah we really do and um actually speaking of drones luke had a question he said how many drones have you crashed if none you should be in the next top gun film (laughs) (laughs) so i've actually only managed to crash it a drone once which is really good i think once yeah once only once um there's been a few near misses here and there but yeah only one actual crash and that was in Ireland. That was, we were filming under, was it Ross's Rocks? Something like that? Ross's yeah, I think Arches? So, yeah. Something like that along the Wild Atlantic Way. And I, I was basically, there was this big rock that is an archway. And I flew through the middle of that. And the signal, basically it lost signal and it didn't know what it was doing. So I don't know if this was user error. I think this was the drone. And it basically lost signals and it started trying to avoid things. And it flew up and hit the underside of the arch and then crashed and landed in the sea. Oh, I remember. I was because obviously it, it, it had just taken off like 20 seconds prior. And I was looking at the screen being like, wow, this looks so cool. And all of a sudden the screen went black and we said, no. Yeah, and it just, you could just feel it, like the heart sank, the stomach went like hollow and it's just like, oh no. <laughs> because it's just, it's just, it just goes into the water. I mean, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. So 
that was a real that was a real shame. Um, but yeah, thankfully it's only happened once. And I do just want to say quickly on a safety note, we pretty much only ever fly the drone when we are in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around. So we're very safety conscious, and it is important for anyone who's listening and is thinking about flying a drone or does fly a drone. Safety is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Don't just go. Oh, I'm just going to get the shot and risk it because it's no joke. You know, you're having this mm-hmm. little flying computer effectively there's got a camera attached to it flying around and computers can go wrong so something can happen it doesn't necessarily have to be your fault they can just fall out of the sky and uh it's not common but you know the the potential um downside of having a drone fall out of the sky depending if it could land on a baby you know yeah. it's just not it's not worth the risk so we're very we've got very low risk tolerance when it comes to flying on a drone around. Yeah, and you know, I, that probably comes from the fact that we should mention that you are, have a license to, uh, to yeah, fly. Oh yeah, I got I got a drone license a few years ago now and that, you know, obviously helped instill in me the importance of being safe. Um, but nowadays if you're thinking about flying a drone, you don't technically need a license. Mm-hmm. You just need to register your drone with the the CAA, I think it's called, which is the Civil Aviation Authority. You register your drone, you need to have your personal pilot's number that you get from the CAA website. Uh, you need to have that stuck on your drone and then you're legal to fly in the UK, I think. So the laws are changing all the time and they're actually getting more and more lenient. So as long as you're safe and you've got a small drone, I think you have to weigh under 250 kilograms and a lot of the drones from DJI yeah, are grams. conveniently weighed. Oh yeah, grams, not kilograms. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> that would be like half a tonne flying around. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so a lot of the drones coming from DJI now are actually 249 grams specifically to come under the 250 gram mark so that they're legal to fly. So keep an eye out for that. And then you're, yeah, I think you're pretty much set to go. One thing that actually, I I don't know if we've got questions on this, but I think it would be really interesting to touch on when Mm -hmm. we did have the crash in Ireland, how was it that we managed to get a replacement drone? We had insurance. There you go. We are with Cover Drone and they were very good. They replaced the drone. Uh, all you need to do is, you know, give them a certain amount of information about your flight and they check everything over. And yeah, they could, good. Yeah, they could, yeah, they could see the, the data from the flight. Yeah. They, you know, because you have to submit that the flight records. Yeah. So they could see that this was the drone going berserk yeah. and and not and not you. But I think you'll cover for user error if you've got insurance too. Oh well there you go. But it is expensive to insure a drone because as you can imagine there's a lot of incidents <laughs> with drones. So if you're taking this seriously and you want to get a drone and it, it's it's an investment for you, it might be worthwhile getting insurance because that has yeah. saved us in that occasion. Yeah. We've got a question here from Pip and Joes. They've asked, would love to know your tips on if YouTube channel could be made just with phone footage. If so, any tips or tricks for not too pricey app slash software to make it work well? Yeah, so this comes back to the fact that we were, what we were talking about earlier is that you don't need the expensive gear to be able to make good films. Um, and iPhones are incredible examples of that. Like you can make, you can get perfectly good images mm-hmm. out of an iPhone or well, any phone. Um, did they specifically say iPhone? Or they just said phone? Well, yeah, any phone. You can get so many phones on the market now have great cameras. So yes, absolutely, you could make a successful YouTube channel on a phone. And in fact, the newbies who we had on our podcast as our first guests a couple of episodes ago, they have got a very successful YouTube channel and they shoot it entirely on their phones. Yeah, they've made so many beautiful travel films and are documenting their their build in, on their Portuguese homestead completely on their iPhones and they have 50,000 plus subscribers on their YouTube channel yeah. so it's safe to say that absolutely as long as you're a good storyteller then you absolutely can do so well on YouTube so don't don't let the equipment get in the way from you absolutely. putting yourself out there, telling your story and yeah. Absolutely. And in terms of apps and software or anything, I don't know about any 
thing that you'd actually use on your phone because I don't ever do that. But there is a software, and if I was starting again now, this is a software that I would use. It's called it's called DaVinci Resolve Lite. It's completely free, and it's an incredible editing software. It started off as a color grading software, and then it developed and advanced, like kind of evolved, I should say, into a non-linear editing platform as well. So you can do everything you need to do in it. It's completely free. It's absolutely professional level. And it's incredible. It used to be a really expensive software and now they've re released a free version of it, the light version. Um, but the light version's got everything you need to do. So yeah, I would advise anyone who's thinking of starting out editing and doesn't want to splash out on any expensive software, go for DaVinci Resolve Lite because it's perfect. Brilliant. Actually, that was one of Rachel's uh, questions. She's from at Sailing Project Parrot. She asked, which program do you use for editing? Need something simple for a technophobe. So we don't actually use DaVinci yes, Resolve. We use Adobe Premiere Pro because that's what I know and I love it and it's great and it works on a subscription program. So you pay monthly for it and it comes with updates all the time. Uh, so it's really good because it's constantly updated rather than buying a, a software and it going out of date, you know, a year later, it's, it's set up in a different way. But I would still say to everyone, DaVinci Resolve Lite, if you're looking to go for something, especially if it's cheap. And in terms of being a technophobe, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know if there's anything any more simple because once you get to know these editing softwares, they're pretty intuitive and mm -hmm. they're, they're smart. You just need to take your time to learn the editing software, I think, because I don't know if there's any that's necessarily more simple than the other. And, you know, you, you can use an editing software to do the very basic things, which is just plonk down shots in order that you want them. And that's all you need to do. And, it's, and that is simple enough as it is, I think. Again, we have a very detailed blog post on our website, jitsintothesunset.com, where you'll be able to get all of the details and the links to our kit, as well as recommendations for any more budget-friendly alternatives. So Adam's really taken a lot of time to write yeah. that and to update that. So definitely give that a read over because we go into a lot more detail in that. The next topic is all about being on YouTube. We have had so many questions about this. People are really curious on what it's really like to put yourself out there on YouTube. Also, people that are interested in doing it themselves, so asking for advice as well. So we're going to cover some of the most frequently asked questions, but do know that we could go on and on about this topic because there is so much to cover. But we won't go on and on. <laughs> we'll just cover the, the, the hot burning questions. Okay, so the first question we've got is from Eve the Van. And she says, I really want... Well, she is a she? Yeah, I guess the van is a girl. The crap. van's a she. Yeah. So the van says, I really want to start, but only have a few followers. How many did you have before you got started? We started with zero followers. Zero. Yeah, I think everybody starts with nothing. Yeah, and that's the one thing that's really worth uh, remembering that if you look at other uh, channels that you admire and then you go, oh, wow, they're doing so Even well. Even Eamon and Beck had zero followers when they started. Exactly. And actually, um, Eamon and Beck, when they, I think they had reached 100,000 subscribers and they did a Q&A. And one thing that really resonated with me was when Beck said that they kept making videos and videos when they were getting 200, 300 views at most. And and they just loved it so much they just kept going and I remember listening to that and finding that really inspirational because that is exactly it making videos when not even your friends will watch them because yeah. they're not that interested in what you're putting out there and just putting in the work putting in the craft and and just doing it for the love of the filmmaking and not because you want to get to a certain number because we could also go on about this but YouTube doesn't pay a lot of money like Adam always says you it's kind of like musicians you either make it or you don't yeah. and the the in between doesn't really pay that well so don't it do it for the money yeah you you have to be on YouTube because you enjoy being on YouTube because it's a long game it's not an overnight success thing you just have to go for it and you have to grind it and to be able to grind at something for long enough that you have to really enjoy that something exactly 
Grant has a great question. He asks, follow the trends for the algorithm or set the trends? That is a good question. I mean, I'd love to say set the trends, but it's not as easy as that. You have to, in some senses, it's much easier to follow the trends uh, to become successful. And that means doing things like posting a video every week, um, creating jeopardy and intrigue in your thumbnails and, you know, taking your, your thumbnails and your titles really seriously. But we are not doing that. Uh, we're, we're doing well, but it'd be interesting to know what would be different about our channel if we were following the trends more. And the reasons why we haven't followed the trends actually ties in really well with two great questions that we've had. One of them is from Olga, who said, how do you split your time between making films and doing the things just for yourselves? And also Pate on the Road has asked, how do you manage filming slash creating versus enjoying the moment? So those are two great questions. And we always talk about this and really and truly striking the balance between creating and also experiencing has been the driving force as our to our YouTube strategy and how we approach YouTube. Yeah, so we do not make films every week like a lot of creators do. And it's amazing that creators do manage to do that because that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it pays off for them. Like it makes a lot of them become very successful because they put the work in and they do it. And it is amazing to see. Um, but for us, we, we know that we wouldn't enjoy that approach to filmmaking because Sunday would come around, we'd post our video and then next Monday we'd be like, right, what's our next film? And we'd feel like we were just churning them out. And that's not what we enjoy about filmmaking. We enjoy taking our time. We enjoy putting the craft in. We enjoy having time off from filming as exactly. well. Exactly. It's, it's the time off as well. There's a lot of times, you know, in full transparency, a lot of the time, like, we don't feel like filming. It's like, think about it in life. Some days you just don't want to pick up a camera and 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 speak into it and you don't you don't want to share all every single moment and so for us we love the fact that we have set up our own schedule so that we can enjoy our time off as and when we want to yeah and I think the lifestyle that we've set up for ourselves of living in the van and being able to travel and see these amazing places if we were making ourselves stressed by making films every week it would kind of defy the point of doing it it would be like what's the point if we're not enjoying ourselves anymore then why are we going to so much effort to sustain this lifestyle that we're not Mm -hmm. enjoying so yeah I think that's it and I think we're, we're very lucky to be able to take that approach because we, we've we just had to accept the fact that we mo- won't make as much money as we would if we were making videos every week. Um, and, you know, not everybody's in a position to do that. Everybody, you know, you, you basically have to take, Tanya described it the other day as like, you take voluntary unpaid leave when you're not making a video. Yeah. And and that is exactly our, our, our approach. And I also want to add that we know lots of people in the YouTube space and you know, some of those people who do make weekly videos absolutely love it love and it. they thrive of it. And equally, there are people who do make weekly videos who get burned out, get very stressed, very anxious and put themselves through a lot and put a lot of pressure on themselves yeah. and it's unnecessary. And so just know that in, you know, behind the scenes of YouTube, you will have creators who will absolutely love it and thrive of it and they love the buzz and some people would equally really suffer and be really anxious about it and it affect their mental health. And people are afraid to take breaks and we still get that now because obviously our videos we're not on a schedule so they don't come out every week they don't even necessarily come out every month and we do feel bad about that um we want we do want to start posting more regularly for sure we want to be doing every two three weeks like that's kind of like our ideal target and it's something that we're going to start taking more seriously but you know people get scared of taking a break because the youtube algorithm will punish that because the youtube algorithm is encouraging you and rewards you for making regular content because it will keep pushing you out to the audience because effectively youtube wants you to make content to keep people on their platform so that they can sell ads on their yeah. platform the that's more, how they make money that's how they make money and the more videos you're making the more people are on youtube the more people you're bringing to YouTube, the more YouTube are going to go, great, let's promote this creator because look how much content they're making. So there's definitely that side to it. And we're obviously, YouTube probably don't 
don't like, like us for not making videos more regularly. But that being said, we cannot complain because we're very happy with our amazing viewership. We get a We've got a great audience and a great community mm-hmm. and a decent number of subscribers and we love it. And it, as a filmmaker, it's so nice to be making films and know that we've got an audience that appreciates them. Yeah. And with that in mind, I would rather take the time to make a film I'd be proud of to show that audience rather than feel like I have to churn one out because they're expecting one on Sunday. That's yeah. that's a very personal thing of ours but that's how we feel about it and I've I've definitely been the driving force on that like from the beginning I've been like <laughs> nope we're not filming this we're not doing this no I'm not rushing it to get it done this Sunday <laughs> because it was definitely something it was a discussion we've had yeah because from a strategic perspective it makes so you will grow faster if you're posting every single week but remember you're going to be setting those expectations like you're going to be growing an audience that you know if you if you don't post on a sunday you're going to have to give people a heads up and say hey no video this week and people will be messaging you and that can be a lot of stress pressure uh, it, uh, yeah lots of pressure and I think our films have gotten better because we've also given them the time to breathe. Sometimes, you know, Adam will be working on an edit and I will review it when it's it's kind of chunky, it's 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 there and we need the time to sit on it to to yeah. figure out how do we make it better. You don't have time to sit on your films and to really mull over or kind of wait until you get those creative juices flowing and you're in the mood in that creative headspace. If you have given yourself a deadline of, you know, posting on a Sunday and you have to remember for for those of you, which I would imagine is the majority of you who don't post on YouTube, you have to remember that the, the process, like the, the, the people that you're watching online, they are not only the talent, but they're also the directors, they're the shooters, they're the editors, they're the storytellers, the, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the sound mix, they're grading the films, they're also posting and like, what's the title going to be? What's the description and um, you know being there on the comments it is so much work it isn't just live your life and point a camera at yourself and and just put it up there and see what happens yeah. to make it successful and to really grow a community um it takes so much time to do that and yeah, so much dedication. dedication so you know kudos to to the people out there that are are making the films completely you know them, themselves most you know until you get to a certain size as a youtuber most people are doing the shooting and editing completely themselves yeah. um sometimes they end up outsourcing it to an editor to free up their time and that's how they're able to 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 keep going but um yeah it is a lot of work yeah, I feel like the advice that, that we would give to people would be to do what's right for you. You don't have to post every week if you don't want to, especially to begin with. If you're learning to to make films and you're learning the trades, you don't want to put yourself under pressure to crank something out every week. Take your time. Build build films that you're proud of. Take your time to learn the craft and post regularly, especially, like I said, if you're just starting out, you don't have an audience there waiting for your films anyway. Mm-hmm. So just just put them out as you as as you want to and then also you'll have a backlog of films that you're proud of that your growing audience will be able to come back and look at so i think yeah remember the films that you're putting out there they're out there forever so we say oh we will just post next week and have something that we're really happy with rather than rush it to get it done this week um Again, that's our way of doing it, but but there are so many other ways. And I think that the trick is not to do what you feel like you should do. It's to do what you feel like will work best for you and for your workflow. And, you know, it takes time to figure that out. So. Yeah. Because, because also I just want to add that that workflow might be that you post more regularly because you feel like that's how you're going to to learn, yeah. you know? To, and, and there's something to be said as well for the, the rough and ready videos. Not everything has to be like glossy and polished, like how we try and make our films. It doesn't have to be like that. Absolutely. Like, the, like I reckon in some ways that holds us back because it makes us seem less relatable. Whereas if you're just pointing around with your iPhone and talking to camera is more rough and ready... That is 
definitely a, there's a lot to be said for that type of film and how people can really connect to you exactly so don't feel like you need to be masters of cinematography to make a very successful youtube channel and also don't feel like you need to take you know days to edit it and make every beat of the music perfect and all of this stuff not i'm not saying that that's what we do not everything we edit is perfect far from it but don't feel mm-hmm. like you need to make something perfect before putting it out yeah it it all depends on you and i've said it a hundred times i'll say it again there's no right or wrong way of making a film it's just how you enjoy the process and i just really do want to add that one of the most important things is to make sure that you're looking after your own mental health and that's Mm -hmm. that's it you know just don't feel the pressure to do to emulate someone else's style or someone else's um you know posting cadence like how often mm. they post or anything like that just look after yourself and again do what's right for you anyway we can get very passionate about that topic <laughs> as you might be able to tell because it's something that we talk about and think about a lot um so uh let, right let's move on we've got a question here from Marique she says, what's the most fun thing about doing YouTube slash filmmaking? And I think that's a lovely question because even though we've just spoken about how it can be difficult and how it's hard work, it is really fun. And we feel so privileged to be able to call this our job. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we love it. So Tanya, what's the most, what do you think is the most fun thing? Oh, well, the obvious thing is the fact that we get to capture our experiences and be able to look back on them and just something that we'll be able to show our kids and grandkids that I, I absolutely... It's just like a great diary, isn't it? Really? Something that we've got for ourselves. So yeah. that's definitely, yeah, that's something that I definitely agree with. That's, that's incredible. For me, I think the, the, the most amazing thing is, like, like I said before, as a filmmaker, having an audience for the films that we are making, it's just such a nice feeling. And having that and having all the incredible comments that we, we love to read come in on, on YouTube is so cool. And I think that's it. I think the community and, and the, the audience, people, we can make films that we really enjoy making. We put them out there. And there will be people watching them and we go, yay, really excited to watch this. And we'll have comments before the video's even been up long enough for people to watch saying, yay, can't wait to watch this. And it's like to know that there are people out there who feel like that about our films is so nice and heartwarming. So I would say that for me, that. Yeah, the community and and the fact that we get messages from people from different corners of the world, people that for whichever reason, like they have they have messaged us or sometimes they email us and they tell us that they don't have the opportunity to travel. But this is a way of them to get to experience a different country, to learn a little bit about the history and about what it's like and and feel inspired. And that's what we love about the yeah. community aspect of it. and It's, it's really hard to believe because we're just doing our thing, making our films, and then people say, oh, you've inspired me to, you know, get a van, or it's really inspirational to see you that do this because it's something that I really want to do. And to feel like we have the platform to inspire people, that's amazing. Like, it's amazing. It's something we couldn't even dream of. Yeah. Do you, will we tell them about Bob? Do you remember Bob? Which Oh, Bob. Yeah, go on. That's one of my favourite stories. I think you tell it really well. So, Bob, he was an older guy. He sent us an email. In his 80s. Is he in his 80s? Yeah, he's in his 80s. Wow. So, Bob emailed us and he explained that him and his wife were getting themselves a van. They were getting it ready and they were preparing to go on a van trip. And they were super excited. And then, really sadly, Bob's wife passed away and he was suddenly on his own, you know, in his 80s. And he just thought, well, what's the point of doing this van trip? He wasn't going to do it. Mm. And then he said that watching our films had actually reignited the fire in him to get out there and go and do them. And I just think if we can just affect, if it's just Bob (laughs) who goes out and actually takes action on something because of us, or probably to be fair, because of mum, because of mum's story of her traveling um, on her own when she was older, I think, yeah, if we can make an impact like that on someone's life, then that is makes all of it like so worth it. Not that we need that to make it worth it, but you know what I mean? Like That is just mm-hmm. such an incredible feeling to know that, that we've helped someone like that, especially Bob. That's such a sad story. And he's made that sad story have a happy ending because of his approach. And we had a part to play in that. And it's amazing. Yeah, we're, we're very privileged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
makes you emotional. Yeah, I love it. And and there's a few other stories like that, a few other comments and emails we get. So yeah, they they're always amazing. I also can I can I add another thing for me filmmaking. Um, one of the things that it's definitely done for me has made me really notice and appreciate the light and all our surroundings. Mm, yeah. So because often. Again, going back to that question all around, you know, how do you balance like creating and experiencing in many ways, picking up a camera can help you appreciate your surroundings and the moments in in just really intensely and in a different way. Yeah. So actually filmmaking rather than taking away from the experience can add to it. That's definitely something, that's a good point. It's definitely something worth adding because there's a, there's the stereotype. I think we've said this in an episode before that filmmaking you know, you take away from the moment because you're not present. Whereas actually it can make you more present in a way. Yeah. Because you are, you know, you're going on a hike and you're thinking about how do I tell the story and show everyone else what this place looks like, what it feels like, the details. And, you know, so, you know, get, getting the B-roll shots of of nature, of, yeah. of, of, the, of the little caterpillar going up the hike as well. And exactly. So you're, you're almost immersing yourself in the environment that little bit more because you're trying to capture the essence of it. We've spoken quite a lot about the process of filmmaking and what it's like being behind the camera. But there's one part of it that is something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to a lot of people and it's something I think a lot of people can feel quite intimidated by. So we've got a great question here from Jasmine uh, at Jazzy Journeys. Uh, She says, how do you find the confidence to talk to the camera? I love filming but I can't get in front of the lens. And Fee also says, I'm not comfortable talking to the camera. Is there another way of filmmaking? Let's cover Jasmine's question first. How did you find the confidence? Because you definitely weren't confident to begin with, were you? I, I for some reason, seemed to be okay. It didn't phase me. I wasn't necessarily good in front of camera, but I wasn't worried about not being good. <laughs> yeah, whereas I was definitely worried. And I think that the main thing is, and when we first started vlogging, again, no one was following us. We hadn't, you know, we hadn't posted one single video. And there I was thinking, who do I think I am getting in front of the camera, talking to who? A camera lens. You know, it, it's very awkward. And um, and I remember I remember you handing over the, the GoPro to me. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you had said, you know, just just talk to the camera and just say where we are, what's going on. And I completely froze. And I remember just like handing it over back to you and be like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I can't do it. And, and it, the, the, the thing that really helped me was Adam's advice, which was just pretend that you're speaking to a friend. And, uh, you know, my best friend is Katie. And he said, just, just, just pretend you're speaking to Katie. Just, just tell her what you're, what's going on. Remember that we have full editorial control, meaning if there's something that you don't like, or if, you know, you didn't articulate yourself in the way that you, that you would like, we can just cut it out. We could do it again. Absolutely no problem. Um, it's not live TV, you know? So I sat with that and I remember watching some of my favourite um, YouTubers that evening and noticing that when they were speaking to me, looking at me in the eye, making eye contact with me through through the laptop, I remembered they they're literally just sitting in their living room completely you know just by themselves looking at a camera and I really clocked that and I realized that the reason why I felt so connected with them was because they were looking straight down the lens and they were brave enough to do that and not to feel awkward and I thought to myself I'm gonna go for it so the next day I just like took a deep breath and I just I'm just gonna go for it and and I did and I, you know I still wasn't very good my mom even said after my you know, the, the the first couple of episodes she was like you need to look at the camera a bit more it's a bit shifty eyed <laughs> and uh, my best friend Katie who's who's a, a TV producer um she also had the same feedback for me so I was definitely far from from good and confident on the camera but, but it's it, funny isn't it because I'm totally fine in front on the camera but public speaking I hate whereas you're really good at public speaking you've done like public speaking before you've given yeah. presentations to hundreds of people at work and stuff yeah. like that so it's so funny because for me it's just me and the camera and even though 
you know, nowadays anyway, thousands of people are going to see that. It doesn't feel like I'm talking to thousands of people. I'm just on my own chatting to my camera, you know, talking to, to mm-hmm. like a couple of people. It feels like just having a conversation like with a mate. That's how it feels to me. And I've got complete control. So I, j- I guess maybe I don't get into my head about the fact that loads of people are going to hear what I'm saying. Whereas like I really love public speaking because, you know, people are not that close up to your face. But also you can't do it again. Like if you do something wrong, that is it. It is like live TV. So that's terrifying. I think people are a bit more forgiving sometimes when it's live because you're just off the cuff. Maybe, but, but you have to you have to really go for it and do it all and you can't like fluff up and then start again. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't like public speaking. The, the one thing to say, though, is that as with all things, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. That is what's going to, to help with your confidence. And now, for example... I remember when we were in um, the Czech Republic and we were walking across one of the bridges in Prague and there were so many people walking and we grabbed the camera to, you know, just do a piece to camera and just chat about what we were doing. And I had this moment, this realization thinking, I know that, you know, people are looking at us because it looks a bit funny and I'm sure people are thinking like, oh, vloggers like who who do they think they are (laughs) and I remember thinking to myself wow I don't care I'm not even looking at them it's not even facing me because I know that there are people that are watching and that will enjoy this and and yeah, and I, I remember feeling like I'm patting myself on the back, being like, you did it, you're, yeah. you're getting more confident. And really and truly, it is just the practice. It's a journey. Yeah, if 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 going on YouTube and, and, and starting your channel is something that you want to do, remember Adam's advice that really helped me. Just speak to the camera as if you're talking to your friend and remember that if you don't like it, you can cut it out, but do give it a go because we're always our own worst critics. And when we listen back to things, it's always it always comes across a lot better than it did when you were listening yeah, it in your time. head when you were saying it. And it even even for us when we're making these podcasts, we're sitting down. And sometimes we're like, was that any good? Yeah, did we just go on about something for like twenty minutes and actually make no sense? <laughs> yeah, and then you listen back to it and you go, oh. No, that feels fine. That's like conversation. And that's- it's because that's what conversations are. Yeah. You do go um uh, and you chat and you think and you're not like, mm-hmm. it's not like reading a, a script. It's mm-hmm. not like reading an article or an essay. There are moments where people go, mm, ah, and that's just natural. And I think that's something else to, to remember when you're talking to the camera is that you don't have to be perfect. You, not everything has to be word perfect to the line, to the script. Sometimes you obviously want to keep things short and snappy and there are little bits here and there, but you don't have a script. Just chat. Just keep it natural as it is, like you would if you were with a mate and trying to tell your mate on FaceTime, like, look at this, or sending them a voice note going, check this out, we're here, we're doing this at the moment, it's really good fun. Because that's where your personality will shine through, in in that just being relaxed and being yourself. And again, it's so much better to grow a community for for who you are than putting out a facade of what you, you know, projecting an what image. you think you should be. Exactly. You shouldn't feel the pressure of having to show up and be someone else that you're not yeah. and to be like a presenter. If that's just not your style, just, Don't do it. just, just be yourself. Better off to have 100 subscribers of people that really appreciate you, your sense of humor and how you show up authentically yourself than to have 100,000 that don't know the real you and every time you feel the pressure to show up as a, as a different version of yourself. Yeah. So. I think it's worth noting that we are far from perfect on camera still. Mm-hmm. We're learning all the time. The more we do it, the more we get confident, but we're not like the perfect example of how to show up on camera at all but we're getting better and we're enjoying it yeah and I want to say I still get nervous sometimes do you? yeah oh I haven't said that to you yeah sometimes I do also when I do stories like piece to camera stories as well as showing my face like yeah because I don't do it that as often so yeah, yeah I still I still feel it it's just you know the little butterflies don't go away just the same the, the little butterflies don't go away before you do public speaking yeah. you just remember that you're just putting yourself out there and I every time I do I feel I feel braver and yeah I feel proud of myself so Happy days. Yeah. well done so you should so to move on to Fee's question now which is very similar to Jasmine's she says 
I'm not comfortable talking to the camera is the other way of making films. And the short answer is yes, there is another way to make films. You do not need to use you talking to camera. You can do voiceovers. You can even point the camera and talk from behind it if you fancied it. Um, but you can just set up the tripod, film yourself doing things, have music, make things natural. You can just get creative with it. There's so many different types of filmmakers out there. And I would say explore YouTube. I would also say explore Vimeo and get inspiration from other creators and also just experiment and play around until you find a style that you like but yeah you definitely don't have to be talking to camera that is obviously a traditional way and it's a very powerful way of connecting with an audience but there's also others and something that I've learned is if you like it if you make films that you enjoy there will be an audience for it because that's Mm -hmm. the amazing thing about the internet is it connects people who are interested in the same things even if that same thing is a niche and it's not necessarily as popular there are still definitely a group of people out there who will love the style of films you end up making. Yeah, and that's even stronger. If the, yeah. the, the, the small, Strong the, niche. Yeah, the, the smaller the niche, the better. Or if you're in America, niche. <laughs> <laughs> the smaller the niche, the better. Right. How we make films. Let's get into it. Lots of questions around this, around the process. And yeah, Adam. Take it away. <laughs> okay. So there's a question from Al uh, at Sim Van Family. Al has asked, do you storyboard or think out a rough plan of how you want to pull the story together before you start? And the answer to that is yes, we do now. And we didn't as much when we started. Mm-hmm. We would just run around filming because we didn't have any plans about what we were actually doing when it came to traveling. So we couldn't make the plans about what we were going to film. Mm-hmm. But nowadays... And we found this works a lot better and saves us a lot of time in the edit. We will go, okay, what are the main things we want to do when we're in Scotland, for example? So I'll use our last Scotland film as an example. And we said, okay, so we want to go to the Isle of Mull. We want to see Puffins. We want to do this hike up the Pap. What's it called? Pap of Glencoe. Yeah. Uh, we want to go to a Boffy. We want to visit a whiskey thing. So we're like, great, we'll make all of these into sequences and then we'll react to anything else that happens. So you know, great, we've got these four strong sequences. They'll be the spine of the film, if you like. Mm -hmm. And then anything in between that, we get inspired by like, oh my God, look at that rainbow with the sheep. Like we'll shoot that and put that in. Mm -hmm. Um, And quite often there will be things like that that will happen that we'll we'll see these amazing shots and we'll collect as we go we'll collect these shots that we really like and then from that we'll use them to be bridges yes. in between the sequences that we can make maybe make a montage and I'll write a bit of voiceover for Tanya to put under it about that will kind of like enhance what our experience was like mm-hmm. um so yeah that's kind of the basic version of our workflow Yeah. And, you know, as Adam mentioned, it's not how we always did it. A terrible example uh, is France. When we were in France and we were there for what we intended to be two weeks, turned out to be two months in the classic Jits way. And um, yeah, we just we just went and we just shot anything and everything that we felt inspired to do to be to be fair, we also took a lot of breaks. So we just had no rhyme or reason. And the problem with that was we ended up with lots of things that were kind of a half shot because we didn't commit to it. We like we would park up at this amazing spot and we'd get a few shots of it because we're like, oh, this is nice. And we were inspired to shoot. But because we didn't think, oh, yeah, this will be a big chunk of the film, we didn't commit to filming it properly. So that was a very difficult edit. I had to like really had to like work on pulling that one together because I had loads and loads of footage, but not necessarily anything that was shot more methodically so that was difficult so I think yeah I would say be methodical I I do want to say that the France film was probably one of my favorites you really pulled it out of the bag but it was hard it It, took me so much more time in the edit than it needed to yeah absolutely I think um one of the one of the things that made that edit great was because um of the music and all the different montages which you had to cobble together because (laughs) we just had all this you were like how am I gonna pull a story I don't want to waste all that great footage that we had but also it wasn't necessarily completely relevant so we had to like write stuff about it to make like write voiceover to make the, something to mm-hmm. use those shots for and to give something so yeah that was a, that was a real challenge and I wouldn't recommend working that way I wouldn't recommend that as a workflow but you know it did work and again that's all part of the learning experience even exactly. though my background is filmmaking this kind of filmmaking is very different to the type of filmmaking mm-hmm. I did professionally so there's still a lot a lot to learn and that's all part of it that's the fun of it now yeah the learning curves yeah 
Our friend Brock from Brock and Betty. Hi, Brock. <laughs> hey, Brock. Has asked, do you colour grade? Yes, I do colour grade. I don't go mad on the colour grading because I shoot. So a lot of people listening might wonder whether we shoot log, which is a really flat image, or whether we shoot with something slightly more contrasty and, and saturated in camera. I shoot more saturated in camera. I don't do the log because whilst log's great, you now can get good enough image out of the camera to then just do a few tweaks to get the same result and it's a lot less time consuming. Um, I've toyed, I've gone back and forth about whether I should, should shoot in log or whether I should shoot in the picture profile that we do now. Um, and I keep coming back to just the idea that actually the, the, the images I'm getting now out straight out of camera are so good and then I can just tweak them and make them my own. I've got enough range, enough flexibility to, to give them the colour and the look that I want that I don't need to shoot in log. Um, sorry, I know I've gone a bit technical there, and if that doesn't make sense then to some of you, then I'm sorry. But basically, to answer Brock's question, I do colour grade. I use a plugin called Film Convert Nitrate, and that has got lots of almost presets, but I don't just use a preset. I tweak the presets, and I do my own colour grading with like the contrast and the curves as well. So I'll put a effectively a preset over the top of all of them, I'll have edited that preset myself and then I will tweak each individually to get the exposure right so that they match and maybe some will be warmer than others and some will be colder than others. So I'll do a bit of tweaking to make sure that everything matches and then have one overriding adjustment layer that gives everything its kind of like look, if that makes sense. Yeah, you love the the grading aspect. I of love it. colour grading. It's one of my favourite things, which is why I keep thinking about whether I should do log. But anyway, yeah. Um, that was all quite technical and actually Tanya kept suggesting to me that and I think there's something that we're going to do in the not too distant future is that I make a course mm -hmm. on filmmaking where I can really dive into this stuff because this really is just scr scratching the surface yeah. and I could dive into all of this stuff I can get technical but I can explain what the technical stuff is so that you guys could really understand it and I can demonstrate that and show that so it would be a video course on filmmaking um, so yeah if that's something that anyone's interested in Please, Please let us, let us yeah. know on Instagram because it's something that I've, I've been considering doing for a long time and Tanya keeps encouraging. Yeah, I definitely, I think that you would be brilliant at it and we could we could help other people who, who want to delve into the world of filmmaking and help with the, the technical aspect of it and the storytelling and all of it. And I can also explain not just how we do it, but other ways of doing it yes. because even though we take our own approach, we I understand that there are so many other ways of filmmaking and I can definitely... Uh, teach that way as well. We had a wonderful long DM from Liam at Escape Plans and essentially Liam wants to know a bit more about your workflow and um, how we manage the footage. I know we also had other questions about like what do we do with all of the footage and um, how it's filed, how you do, how do you keep organized because there is a lot Okay, so the the technical workflow, I suppose, we kind of touched on the creative workflow when we were speaking, when we were answering the last question. But the, yeah, the technical workflow, because we do have a lot of footage, is I we have these cheaper hard drives, these cheaper USB hard drives that we use to back everything up. And then I work from a solid state hard drive, which is a lot quicker. And they're a lot more robust and rugged. Um, and that's the one that I use to work from. So we'll copy everything onto that hard drive, work away, you know, everything will be stored there. We'll be working away, we'll be rendering to that one. The workflow will be a lot quicker. And then once we're finished, copy that all over onto another hard drive and then store that away somewhere so that we've got our footage archived. But yeah, I also try and have two copies of the footage at any one time whilst we're still working on the edit. And then it'd be ideal to have two copies of everything backed up on separate hard drives once we'd finished as well. But realistically, that's just not, we'd have so many hard drives, we just don't, we don't need that, but it's important for us to have all of our footage backed up because we work with tourist boards and quite often we will sell our footage as stock footage. So we need to have it at hand. We can't just delete it and forget about it once the film's up. I have another follow-up question. How often do you do media management? How often do we cop copy over from the SD cards, you mean? Yeah. Um, it depends, but every couple of days. Yeah, and I think, you know, the reason I asked that is because a lot of people were really surprised when we did have this whole conversation about it on our stories. 
because I think what people tend to do, and I would definitely be the guiltiest person in the room, is just fill up an SD card and just not back it up and maybe wait a couple of months before I look at what's inside it. Whereas one thing I really noticed about your workflow is the fact that if we've been shooting out for the day, you'll be like, great, media management, you'll be backing up the drone, you'll be backing up the main yeah, cameras. Yeah, after a big shoot, you, you, a big like, stay shoot. Organized you, yeah, yeah, you stay organised. Versus at the very end of a trip, for example. Yeah, no, that you, you can't do that. I mean, you can do that, but you'd probably confuse yourself. And, and that's the point. So yeah. And it's also nicer to have the subfolders when you're looking for your footage. Yeah. And it's nicer to be able to look through it and go, oh, there's this... A Thank you so much for listening. We are sorry that it's been such a long episode such again. Such a long episode. We need to start. Like This is an interesting point. Would you guys prefer it if we had split episodes like this into two? Is 30 minutes more manageable for you? Are you happy with the long form? Let us know. We'll put a poll out on Instagram, shall we? Yeah, and also I think we can put out a poll on, on Spotify. Oh, on Spotify, yeah. Just, just let us know. We would love your feedback on this because, you know, just uh, behind the scenes... Adam's been kicking me under the table oh, because this is so long. Where... And I keep saying to him, listen, this is an episode about filmmaking and these are answering questions that people have asked us time and time again. Yeah. So thank you for sticking around this far. We really do hope that it has been insightful. And if you have absolutely no interest in making films, I at least hope that you have appreciated the, the arts and the craft and the work that goes into making these films possible if filmmaking is something that you're interested in and you would be interested in Adam's filmmaking course please do message us because I will use it as evidence and as something to bash him over the head with and go come on let's do it you can do it you know and um, yeah we would love to hear from you if you have made it this far you're very committed and we would like you to dm us this week's secret code word, which... Code emoji, which is... Mm, should I say the camera or is that too obvious? No, I don't think... Don't think I should use the camera? I don't know. No, I won't use the camera. Okay, let me think. Um, um, should it be a bit... Octopus. Little... Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There you go. Please do DM us an octopus. Yeah, notice I chose an octopus, not the camera, because the camera would have been too obvious. Yeah, exactly. Like my shamrock from last <laughs> week. So... Please do message us. Um, we are getting back to everyone on DM slowly but surely. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. Um, please rate this podcast if you haven't already and leave us a review because it massively helps. Um, and if you're interested in all the films that we've been talking about, then again, check us out on YouTube if you haven't already. We'll see you for the next episode next week. Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye.